Welcome to the All About Network podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things network. That can include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. This is going to be one of our Spotlight episodes, and we are so incredibly fortunate to have had a conversation with Dana Zinn and Sue Sternberg about their handling collaborative that they are providing and the video review webinars that they have been offering to the community for a little while now, and how it's helping to elevate all of our training so that we are helping our dogs be successful in their searches. Exciting stuff. (laughs) Before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me just do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U, and also the president of Cyber Setwork Incorporated. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and eBooks that are all designed to help you achieve your Setwork training goals. So whether you're just getting started in Setwork, you're looking to build some more advanced skills, or if you're interested in trialing, we have a training solution for you. And just know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode itself. So once again, in this Spotlight episode, we are having the distinct privilege of speaking with Dana Zinn and Sue Sternberg about the collaborative that they have been working on, focusing on the handler skills, the way they're communicating with their dogs throughout a search, whether in training or in trialing, and the way that they are now using video review webinars to help people really identify what they may be doing with their own individual dogs, and then applying the knowledge of how they'd be able to be more clear with their dogs. So we're going to take a listen to that conversation. And I know that you're going to be getting a lot of great information out of it. (laughs) So I think it would be good for some people who may not know who is Dana Zinn and who is Sue Sternberg and what is this handling thing that she's, that Diana's always talking about that they're so good about where the collaborative started, where it is now, what your plans are going forward. Anything else that you want to talk about? Sue, you start. Okay. We've known each other forever, right? For a long time. Long time. And then it was at Texas uh, Nosework Camp and Dana gave a, maybe an evening lecture or something. It was so good. I don't even remember exactly what you were talking about, but I think you were talking about like- Because why dogs uh, look at us. Why dogs look at us. And, and it was so great. And afterwards, I think I went up to you and I said, that was so great. That really needs to get out there. I'm so glad you did it, whatever. And then I think I went to your, you did a workshop in Colorado. I went with Chappie you were talking about handling and orienting to the dog, what, whatever, I don't know, but um, how did it start? <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the Texas camp part, right? <laughs> Thank God. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, she, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we'd known each other for years before that. And uh, it was after that talk that she said, you know, we need to get more information like that out. And I said, well, would you ever consider collaborating with me, like doing a workshop with me? And she said, maybe (laughs) in a nice way. She was very nice. And then she came to my workshop in December. We already had, I think we already had something set tentatively to do a workshop together, but we'd never done anything together at that point. So she came to my workshop in December and that kind of cemented in her mind that we were very similar in how we looked at things and how we kind of thought about handling and working with the dog. So we kind of set our kind of different parts up separately. And then we joined together. Our first workshop was in North Carolina. And it was the first time she really saw my exercises based on what we talked about. It was my first time seeing her kind of, you know, presentation on handling. Really, that's where it all clicked. Like what she said about handler orientation and handler movement and just 
general understanding of what our body language means to the dog in the search was just what I needed to kind of complete the picture of what I had been teaching. I think I kind of had a feeling about some of that before, but didn't really know as much as Sue does about, you know, handler movement and orientation and all that. And so after that, we just kept collaborating and we just, we did more workshops together. We started our Patreon site together where we did monthly webinars and uh, video shorts and all of that together. And then we ran that for a year and then we decided to kind of move on to other things together. So it's been a few years through COVID and everything where we've just kind of, we just keep talking, we keep working together, we keep collaborating, we keep brainstorming. She keeps throwing these ideas at me and my brain breaks for a little bit. And then we come back together. And for me, it's been like a match made in heaven as far as nose work. Me too. And I mean, what got me thinking about all the handling is I come from doing agility and I learned a lot of agility from Bud Houston. And Bud Houston is the one where who taught me everything about orientation and body language and what it means, as he called it, the immutable laws of movement of a dog in motion and what every like shoulder push and every, what everything means. And so it's like people, I think are calling it, you know, like Dana and Sue's, you know, handling method. And it's, it's not a special handling method. It's just bringing knowledge of what our bodies and our movement and our orientation are saying to a dog if you you know translate body language not it's not our translation it's just the laws of movement but what we're saying to our dog and it's also sort of the natural progression of a dog sport right like agility went through this as well when agility started it was all just you know you train the dog and you kind of mash him around uh the weave poles in and out with your body and whatever and there and and then it was not too far along where somebody said we should probably be fixing ourselves like we should probably be much more aware of what our handling is saying to the dog that all the mistakes basically are handler based and or training based but not dog based and that's kind of what we apply to nose work and it's kind of a big can of worms I mean obviously people do really well without any knowledge of it and the thing is the people who do the best without any knowledge of what their bodies are actually saying to the dog are the people who have higher drive dogs because those dogs tend to pull them around. And so they end up being in a better position most of the time. But if you've got a sensitive dog or you have a dog who's really um, aware of the handler's movements or position, there's a, a certain amount of stress that comes from taking over the search, even if you're not aware that you're taking over the search. I think too, it's like what Sue said about, you know, it's not necessarily a handling method that we have because we're just bringing in, you know, the natural kind of laws of communication between us and the dog when we use, when we move a certain way and we orient a certain way. But our main goal is to try to help people recognize when they are doing it. Like you need to be much more aware of your body in the search and when you're making those statements and when you want to make those statements it's one of the hardest things for people to kind of get their mind around is how to do that. And so that's kind of our main mission is just to try to help people um, to clarify what they're doing, to teach them self-awareness of what they're doing and when they're doing it and to help them make 
decisions up to when they want to do certain things. So yeah, it's it's a big task. And we know we ask a lot of people. It's it's not easy, especially when you've been training a long time and you kind of have that it's like the, yeah, muscle memory, right? Of all that movement that tends to kick in when you get nervous at a trial. But Sue and I are on a mission to <laughs> to just charge forth and help people really understand what an impact it does. And we're looking at having trying to have people not just look at that search or that trial. We're looking long-term, we're looking through the whole dog search career and really, really planning the, for the long game, not just in those micro moments. Right. And I think it is really underestimated how much stress is placed or the dog experiences when we handle weirdly or when we take over the search or when we decide to lead the dog to an area that we think he hasn't been. And again, things that you can get away with if you have the quote unquote higher drive dog, because there's a lot more oomph in the bank. The bank of joy and enthusiasm is what we talk about all the time. And we, we feel like we should be honoring the dog and his, his mighty nose and taking as few withdrawals as possible. And a withdrawal is when we inadvertently take over the search or surpass his shoulder or decide a pattern the dog should take or look at our watch and say, oh, in the interest of time, I'm going to get my dog to that corner where he hasn't been because I think it's a good idea. And it's a little withdrawal from the bank of joy and enthusiasm because as we take over and bring our dog there or point it out to the dog, we're taking his independence away for that moment. A lot of people give it right back and that that's better, but a lot of people don't give it right back. And the dogs start losing confidence in feeling like they're the ones with the nose. I think that, you know, the sport's based on professional detection and in professional detection, of course, things are, they're different, right? Like people are getting dogs to do it who were bred to do work and are very drivey and they can tolerate, you know, they can tolerate a police officer presenting every 12 inches of an interior for, so that in a court case, they can say that they handled exactly the same way and the dog searched exactly the same way and, and all of that. And then a dog with a lot of drive can, can take that and still keep searching. We both believe that Every, almost every dog is a high drive dog. Like you just have to build it. What the difference, some dogs are born with a lot of drive and other dogs, you have to build it and you have to be a lot more careful not to make some inadvertent little mistakes that, that take a little bit of the, the gumption out of the dog, um, which is kind of why we want people to really be aware of, of what they're saying. And so they can decide if they wanna be saying that at that time how often they want to be saying it. If somebody has spent most of their foundation training putting huge deposits in this bank and being really aware of their handling and allowing the dog to lead the search, a small withdrawal is more meaningless than somebody who's now, you know, has been handling in an unclear way and are now out, out of NW3 and finally into elite and their dog has lost a major part of their drive and gumption because of the lots of the little withdrawals. 
So how do you find a effective way to help handlers have a consistent approach with their handling from training to trialing? Because it seems to be that even for people who may have not heard of the great advice that you both are giving as far as the techniques and learning how to read your dog and using your handling technique to promote the dog to actually understand, such as backing away, the famous thing that you pointed out of everyone, they're sourcing hide and I take three steps back and the dog is like, do you want me to come with you? I was just doing something. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So how do you help people who inherently at trial, even if they're extraordinarily experienced, suddenly do something that is so drastically different than what they do in training? Because it appears to me, and again, you can comment this or correct me if I'm wrong, that we're always putting all the focus on the dog and not much on training us ourselves on what to do. So there's yep. such a disconnect between what we're doing when we're training than what we're doing when we're trialing. Are you both noticing that? And are there any tips that you have for people to help remove that disconnect? And whomever would like to chime in first. <laughs> yeah, it's our bailiwick. I mean, it's, I think, it, I think when people get to a trial, they're, they're taken over by aliens and they become unrecognizable creatures like I I think people the nerves make them handle differently and do different things or they believe that in order to be really competitive they have to take over and do certain things and uh, I know Dana you'll want to speak to this in particular but first of all we, we feel like if you're concentrating on supporting the dog and concentrating on making sure that your body language is saying the supportive things that you want it to say it's a process of being highly tuned into the dog kind of in every every millisecond of every second and but the good thing about that it's it's a real job for us um, to support the dog through everything and it gives us a task to concentrate on instead of like looking around or checking our timer or deciding something or trying to think where the co put the hide and the the beauty of it like if you embrace it is you can handle exactly the same way in training as you would in trial as seamlessly and you know incredibly supportively for our dogs and um we feel that our handling method is is very competitive like i i think there's a myth out there and dana you should just chime in here but (laughs) we think there's a myth that people think well that's all fine and good in training but at a trial you know, you're really going to have to to step in more. The dog doesn't have a sense of time and, and you know, whatever. Take over, right. Dana. Yeah. Um, it's really challenging to have consistency, I think, for a lot of people between training and trialing, especially if you're working on your own. Yep. Um, it's one thing if you have me as your instructor in a class and I'm yelling at you every two weeks to stop backing up, stop doing that. But even my students, when they get into a trial situation, like that primitive brain takes over and it's just, it's really fascinating to me what happens to handling in a trial. So, you know, the best things we can do is to try to build more muscle memory in training, (laughs) certain exercises where I'm focusing on my my body orientation for this one, this one, I'm focusing on not taking a back step this Mm -hmm. one, you know, so I break it up into small different parts. So in my training, I'm trying to build muscle memory over and over again. So when I have to put it all together, hopefully it all comes out in that moment. But what Sue said, 
about, you know, focusing on a task in a trial, that's a huge one because what we really promote is giving yourself certain goals to take into each trial. Mm -hmm. And so by allowing yourself to have certain really specific things that you're focusing on while your dog is working, it really tends to take the, the pressure off in some ways, because your main goal is to kind of like, I, I mean, I have done several trials where my goals were just about footwork or my goals were just about either making faster calls or slower calls. Like I just kind of go into each trial with a different goal and that gives me a chance to focus on it. So then when I leave that trial, even if we weren't perfect, I can, I can look at my success based on what I really wanted to achieve going in. And it just seems like when you do that, you build more and more confidence in yourself as a handler, your dog gets more confidence because you're trying to maintain that consistency through training and trialing. And before you know it, it's actually much easier to do the, all of it trialing. So I think like, those are the kind of steps that we really recommend and, and promote for people is breaking it down to just small increments to build muscle memory, giving yourself specific goals in a trial, and then being willing to take that those times in trials to work it through because you cannot get the same experience in class or when you're just training yourself. And it's also trying to be consistent, whether training blind and training not blind, like the handling should be the same unless you have like one very specific different goal for that one very particular search, you know, handling is, doesn't change blind or not blind. Yeah, it shouldn't. Yeah. Right. That's why we're here to do video review for people to help them recognize when, when they're doing certain things, because so often you just don't know it. And so, I mean, we promote, oh, so much self-review in, uh, by looking at videos, because it's the only way you get to see yourself and what you're really doing because your brain's not really recognizing it in that moment. (laughs) Well, that's a good lead into what I wanted to ask was that one of the things that you guys are offering now are the video review webinars where people are able to submit videos to you that either were in training or trialing. And what I wanted to have you both talk about is the, I know for myself anyway, that if I were to attempt to do some of these things, if I had a dog at the moment, is the paralysis of choice is the, okay, now I have all this wonderful information in bits and pieces. And now I'm sitting there in the middle of the search and going, oh my God, there's like 15 things that I have to choose from of what it is that I should be doing to supporting my dog in this moment. And also conflicting my muscle memory of what I used to do that maybe wasn't helpful and I'm not supporting them. Am I abandoning them? Am I taking over the search? What's happening? By the way, the dog is like, I found the hide like 15 seconds ago. If you just want to come and give me my cookie, that'd be great. So if you guys could talk about what you're seeing as far as those video reviews, and the progress that people are making by taking in the feedback that you're providing and also with the webinars and how they can get over that paralysis. Maybe it's just me because I'm crazy, but where they just feel as though they have all of this information in their head and also the alien feeling of now I'm a participant where many people thought that it was just, I'm a dope and a rope following my dog. So whoever wants to take that, that'd be great. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. And I think you know, when you talk about having the, the multiple of things to focus on, I think that's what, you know, when we go back to, you know, picking small individual goals for the trial, but I really want to, want to 
tell people, if anything, just focus on a few things, right? The, the most important things you can focus on, which are orientation, matched pace, and allowing, like really matching the dog when they stop and slow and arcing, like the pivot points that we talk a lot about. If you can do those basic things in a search, you're already way ahead, way ahead. And especially if you've been doing it in training, because the dog's going to recognize that kind of feeling of handling behind them, and it's going to feel better to them. So we do talk about a lot of different things in regards to handling, but those really are main foundational principles are the ones that we really want people to really think about the most when they're going into trial. So, um, and then once you have those things down, then you can start thinking about like really details and like getting nitty gritty. You know, I call it my, <laughs> my Dana brain where I, <laughs> it's, it's quite something to, to, when I talk about all the things that go through my head in the search about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, but I wouldn't expect that of someone who is, you know, just really trying this for the first time and seeing if it works for them. So I'll turn it over to you and then we can talk about some of the, the feedback we've been getting from people. I mean, I think it's easier to incorporate the movement and uh, you know maintaining proper orientation, letting the dog lead, letting the dog make decisions, supporting the dog wholly. It's easier to do that if you do it in training and you've laid a foundation with that. It's easier than to do it at a trial. Like I really believe that that in training, we train the dog to expand his search area. In training, we teach the dog to cover the search area so that, you know, if there's a, a broom closet that is in play, the dog doesn't go there. In order to get the dog into the broom closet, it might simply be shifting your shoulder three inches while the dog is is doing something it's like it's it's so subtle to be able to suggest to the dog to search the broom closet because you have a dog that is searching for the search and when there's no more odor found you have a dog that uh, in one area the dog says i need to go find more odor and so they're they're taking you places because i think the biggest thing people think about in a trial is where haven't we been and should i be taking my dog somewhere to cover the search area and, and the whole concept of in training is to teach the dog the kind of joy to keep searching for the search. Then you can do that at a trial. I mean, I, for me, this is how I trained Chappie from the beginning and kind of it's, it's all I know. So when I go to a trial, I have the, my, my biggest angst is, hmm, is she done in this area, in this room? Or is she working a complicated high hide, right? Like at Summit. Like, is this just odor doing something really bizarre? Um, or is she, you know, is this a high hide? And, but I don't, I don't ever have to think about my orientation. I think you're right. I mean, you know, I think so often when we look at trialing and we think about the challenges that come in trialing, you know, recognizing when your dog is in odor, when they've gone to source, when they're done, searching? Have we covered the whole search area? Like there's a lot of things that we have to think about ourselves, like regardless of handling, there's a lot of other things to consider as well when yeah. you're in a trial and it's challenging. You know, we have to be kind to ourselves because we're not perfect and we make mistakes and 
our brain gets away from us and that's okay. And honestly, the same thing can happen to the dog. The dog is a, our dogs are incredibly emotional creatures and their whole world is sent. And so, you know, you may have a dog that's never, ever had an issue going into a search and then some random trial is at this, some random site and your dog goes in and there's some smell there that really just triggers something in them. And they're like, you know what? I just can't do this today. (laughs) Like we, we, there's so many different variables for every trial you enter. And that's one of the hardest things about nose work is you can't duplicate one trial to the next. There's no way to duplicate it. And so what we're trying to do is, is have the consistency in handling as much as possible. So when, when we encounter new environments, when the dog encounters new environments, that we still have that kind of normalcy, that kind of consistency that we can both depend on for each other. And it only makes the searches that much better. But, you know, we're going to come across so many things that are out of our control as far as environment. Well, everything in the environment, <laughs> I'm not going to go into everything, but uh, that we have no control over. And so, but the things that we have control over are ourselves and our handling. And so that's one thing that I want to, I want to encourage people to be kind to themselves, be kind to their dogs. Remember they're emotional creatures. They're not machines. They're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect, but we should do our darn best in training and working in this like most amazing game ever, ever (laughs) to be the best handlers we can be for our dogs and allow them to be these masterful hunters that they are trust in that, that their ability to do that job, what we're just trying to give the dog the best kind of handler that they really deserve. What, um, what's really powerful about video review is so often. Oh, yeah. will, That's what we were talking about. I know. <laughs> I know. It took me a second too. Um, but somebody will come and say like, my dog missed that, the, the corner hide, or my dog missed the hide under the stool. And I think people think that it's an odor question, right? Like, what should I be practicing? How do I replicate this, the hide under the bar stool under the bar because my dog missed it? Whereas if you show us the video, it, it's 99.9% of the time your dog missed it because that was the moment you chose to search a corner. Like you took over the search, you took over the thinking. And in, in most cases, dogs miss hides or get falses because of an error in handling movement, pace, speed, and that. That's the, the power of a video analysis. It's painful. I mean, Jesus, I think it's hard just looking at myself in a, in a Zoom video, um, and it's hard in a trial video, but the lessons to be learned are um, almost always how something we did changes the dog's trajectory or speed or um, impulsion. And that's why they missed a hide or ended up doing some, or did something that caused us to say alert. Um, so video analysis is painful unless, I don't know, maybe there are people out there who like looking at themselves on video. I am not, uh, not one of them, but it, it is really the only way to, to learn. And, and it's the sport of videotaping right? Like there's no other sport that videotapes as much. And the gold, the the mining for gold is in looking at the handler in support 
of the dog or changing the, and not supporting the dog. Yeah. And we, we really ask people to look at their searches like frame by frame, step by step. It's not just kind of a review of the overall search. It is, it is really looking at every nook and cranny of that search and saying, when my dog looked left, where was I? Like, how was my forward momentum? Was I pushing them off of that? When they wanted to go this way, what did I do? Did I, did I discourage that? Did I encourage that? Like, we want to look at every movement we make versus the movement the dog is making to look for any inconsistencies and say, ah, that could be a problem. That could have been where the problem lies. And the goal is to be able to look at our videos and say, oh, that really was just odor because my handling was not too shabby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. A video reviews is, is so, so important. I don't think you can be the best handler you can, you want to be without that. Yeah. And that's true for every sport, right? I mean, it has to be, that's what your coach does. Our sport has three species, right? The human, the dog and odor is its own, you know, has its own behavior and we have to learn all three. But I guess Dana and, and my emphasis is on the human aspect of it, trying to bring out the most joy in the dog and to reduce any kind of conflict that we're inadvertently causing um, for the dog. Absolutely. And in our webinars, what we try to do is collect videos from people, whether it's trial or training videos, and look at these details that we want to look at. And we look at frame by frame, you know, when you're stepping forward, when you're moving back, if you're sidestepping, all of those things. And so we hope that by the end of the analysis, it's kind of clearer to whoever's video it was, Mm -hmm. kind of what happened in the search to give them that that fuller picture and again, create more body awareness. So have you heard from people who have been active with providing their videos and their webinars, any kind of feedback of their eyes opening or them applying some of the things that you've been noticing, or have you just seen it? Maybe they haven't noticed it, but maybe they have been submitting multiple videos. You're like, I can see that you're actually, you hear me in the back of your little baby head. Um, Are you noticing anything like that? Yes. And also hearing from people who uh, change their goals at a trial and to, you know, concentrating on one one thing, like not trying to get in the ribbons, not trying to qualify, you know, per se, but a more distinct goal of um, making sure that they allow their dog to lead the search. And people will come out of even NW3s and they'll be like, I had a great time at that trial. And um, sometimes they're, they've qualified and sometimes they've still had a hitch, but people are, are getting it. And they don't look at other people searching the same way either. (laughs) We get a lot of feedback from people who volunteer at trials who will say, you know, it's, it's shocking how once you kind of recognize when the handler is taking over and when those suggestions are being made, when you're watching a handler who's completely unaware of it, you know, bless their hearts, like they're doing the best they can, but it's very obvious to them how their handling is so different and how often that we as handlers um, goof things up and we just don't realize it. And so often the dog takes the brunt of it when, especially when there's false alerts and things like that, because we just don't understand why these things happen. So that's why uh, we want to help people understand. 
but we've gotten a lot of just wonderful feedback from people just that they're having more fun at trials. Their dogs are Mm -hmm. having more fun at trials. And, you know, it's not necessarily about the ribbons, but we've had a lot of people say like they finally got out of NW3 or they finally, you know, are, are scoring more points at elite or, or, or just, they're just feeling a shift in the teamwork and it's making all the difference in the world. Like they're, I mean, we've had several people tell us they've got their dog back, which mm-hmm. is really yeah. like the best thing you could possibly hear. So it's good. And that actually leads me to what I wanted to ask before we start wrapping this up is what part of this helps put the wind back in your sails? Because again, all of this, you know, just training and the hustling and you're both very busy women and you're doing things crazily all of the time. I know for myself anyway, that when I see that connection between the dog and the handler and whatever part of their training, that's where I just smile ear to ear and be like, okay, I can watch like five more videos. This is so exciting. So do you (laughs) both have instances or examples of things like that, where you may have seen someone submit a video who may or may not have been applying some of the things that you were talking about? Like, oh yes, I want to see a couple more videos like this, um, where people are having that awareness and they are helping their dogs because I think the focus so much is, well, the dog needs all the training, not the person so much. And yeah. now they're actually yes. taking some of the responsibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get emails just all the time that, that for me, just keep, keep me going. But I also, I feel like, I feel like Dana and I have a responsibility to be talking about this and, and putting it out there. It's, you know, we are saying things with our bodies and our movements and our orientation. And it's anytime you're in a competition or a sport with a, another creature, like a dog, I think we have to work as hard as possible to know how, how what we're doing affects them and to keep as our, as our main focus, the joy, it, which is why we all start this, right? A lot of times competition can take the joy out of it for people. They get nervous or they feel like they don't do well. And when the goal is put money, put uh, money into the bank of joy and enthusiasm and to make sure that even let's say that what you've done on any given search, put money into the bank and your dog came out feeling like, God, damn, I, I rock that. I'm so amazing. You know, that, 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 that'll, that'll, serve them for you know months like we we want that dog to be as enthusiastic in that first box search that he ever did for food than he is at his second day eighth search of the summit trial and that the dog will just give his give his all and feel wholly supported i do i do want to make the announcement that dana and i have taken our patreon content and we've added to it and we've rearranged it. And we are going to be publishing a book on some of the basics um, so that there'll be stuff out there for people to you know, read, review, and better able to access and, and understand. So that's awesome. Very exciting. I know. Stuff. It's very <laughs> exciting because we have so much time. We were just going to you know, write a book. No, but a lot of it's a lot of it's written or at least a template from all the newsletters and all the Patreon stuff. And uh, we want to keep it coming and getting it out there. I think my favorite thing, what really just brings me so much joy is 
just the bonding that I see so much between handler and dog, how I, I, years ago, I just had a student say to me, she said, you know, I swear he looked at me like they had something happen at home. It wasn't even nose work related, but she responded to him in a different way because of nose work. And she said, you know, it's like, he looked at me and said, wow, you're finally listening. Mm. And those, that's what I want to take into every search. That's how I want my dog to feel. Every search is that I'm really listening. And when I see handlers, like start to recognize when their dogs are really problem solving independently and that they like really genuinely how good they are. It's just, it, nothing makes me happier. So yeah, I love it. So just to help people have a better idea of how they may be able to work with either of you with this particular piece, is there anything that you can provide them as far as information about how they may be able to contact you? Could I provide you with videos for review? What are these webinar things? I want help. Help me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, for the webinars, the best resource is my website. So it's www.zindogtraining.com. And I have a whole page dedicated to the webinars. Our next one is March 17th, St. Patrick's day. And then from there, we kind of announce when the next one will be. We're trying to do them more around quarterly because uh, it does take some time to put the content together and we feel like we, we could do a better job spacing them out a little bit. And there's a way you can sign up on my website to submit videos for review or you can purchase previously recorded webinars and you can sign up for the next one. So that's the best way. Um, you're also welcome to email Sue or I anytime. And um, I'm at Dana at zindogtraining.com and Sue is Sue Sternberg at iCloud.com. And we can, you know, help provide you information and resources when, when we're doing workshops or or when our next webinars are, and just, you know, we really want to help promote this way of handling. And we just think it will benefit every team will just contact us for any questions or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And the book? will be a great resource. The book will be a great resource. Yeah. Yes. Please make sure that when you have any information that you provide it to me, and then we'll make sure we include links for all of those things everywhere that we can. (laughs) So one final thing that I wanted to ask of both of you is as an instructor, I want to know that I am providing the information to my little baby clients properly. (laughs) So are there anything specifically for instructors to perhaps get the blinders off of us of how we have been digesting information and then spitting it back out to clients to then take that information, translate it, and then put into their own training, which is hard enough as it is. Is there a way that specifically for instructors that they be able to work with either of you or to implement some of the things you're talking about in their own training programs? I would say that's hard because it's so often it's a game of telephone (laughs) where we'll say something and then it kind of gets interpreted a certain way. And then it kind of gets taught a different way. Um, So it is challenging for sure to kind of keep that consistency from us moving down the line as instructors. I would say one of the best things is to try to hire us to do workshops, because if we can come to you and we could work with you, a lot of your students will come, other instructors will come and we can kind of just work together Um, But if that's not a possibility, uh, you know, we could talk about even doing a specific webinar for instructors or like if you have a a group of instructors in your area, we would absolutely be thrilled to do a Zoom webinar just based on, you know, uh, exercises that we've done. We could go over class exercises with you. 
just it's just so important to try to keep that message consistent. But we know how hard it is because people are spread out all over the world. So right. yeah, it's a great question. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you both. This was amazing. I know you're both very, very busy, busy people. Is there any other additional information that you want to share with our listeners about any other projects that you're working on? Do you want to just tell them a little bit more about yourself? Give them another note so that they can get through the day and keep their head above water with the world being what it is, whatever you'd like to share. <laughs> I mean, I think we all start out in nose work. You know, it's just, it's just fun, a fun game to play with your dog. And then I think it often starts to change when we start to compete and um, it doesn't have to like, I mean, obviously there's always going to be some sort of trial nerves, but if the goal is joy in the dog and keeping that in mind, I think that's what's really important. I think it's the most amazing sport to ever come to the dog world. It's not like we all have to do it perfectly. None of us do it perfectly, not as handlers, not as instructors, not as dog trainers, but just to just keep the joy in, in mind and, and how good it is to give this access to our dogs, to let them be able to sniff. Kind of jumping along what Sue said is don't let competition take the joy out of it. I, mm -hmm. I want, I want nose work to be fun for both me and my dog for a long time. Yep. And um, we just want to find that balance between fun and sport and hopefully bring them together and just mm -hmm. allow people to have a better time competing and, and make it more fun for the dog as well. Yeah. Amazing. I really, truly want to thank both of you for everything that you're doing for the community, what you've been doing for dogs and people for the entirety of your careers, and that the community is better off because of both of you. So I really oh. hope that you both take that to heart and that I am very excited that more people are learning about what you do, because this is okay. going to help elevate what the dogs can experience. So like what you mentioned of the dog being able to see their person be like, oh, you actually hear me. I've been yeah. trying so hard for you to actually hear me. And you actually yeah. heard me for that millisecond. Okay. You're yeah. not listening to me anymore because now you're doing human stuff, but you heard me for that moment. Yes. A glimmer. <laughs> glimmer. A glimmer yeah. <laughs> so as you can see, Dana Zinn and Sue Sternberg are doing a wonderful service for the community. <laughs> and we are so incredibly fortunate that they are now helping all of us whether you are a handler, whether or not you're a trainer, whether or not you're an instructor or a trial official, if you are involved in scent work, we all now can elevate our own skills as handlers to meet the demands of our dogs. So they're actually able to do the incredible sniffing that we're asking them to do in these searches. And truly, we are so very, very fortunate <laughs> that both Dana and Sue are providing these services. So we will make sure that in our podcast replay page, and as well as our website, that there are links to how you may be able to find out when those video review webinars are available. And we'll also make sure that we provide contact information for both Dana and Sue. So if you have any questions, you can contact them directly. Then in order to schedule an in-person workshop, particularly if you are an instructor and you are looking again to elevate your own skills so that you're providing all of this information to your clients, because really we need to take this to the next level and Dana and Sue are really allowing us to do that. I also want to announce that we are extraordinarily fortunate that Dana Zinn is going to be doing a live webinar for Scentwork University, and that is scheduled for April 3rd at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, and it's focusing all on containers. Very exciting. <laughs> so we'll make sure there's a link for that webinar also in our replay page for the podcast and also on our website. So if you want to check that out and again to learn from Dana directly, 
It's called All About the Box, a detailed look at container searches. And we are super excited about that. Once we have more information about the book that Dana and Sue are looking to put together, we'll have that on our site as well. But again, I really hope that everyone can just appreciate just the wonderful work that these two very busy people are doing. <laughs> again, to have more of those moments when the dog is able to look back at their person and say, you actually heard me. And to have you as a handler experience that is just amazing. So the fact that they are facilitating this is wonderful. So big shout out to both of them. <laughs> We love doing these spotlight episodes for our podcast. So if you know of anyone else, whether it's an individual or a business that's giving back to the Setwork community that you would like for us to spotlight, to highlight all the wonderful things that they're doing, please let me know. We want to be able to share as many positive things, particularly with the world being what it is, as we can. <laughs> so please make sure that you reach out and I'll be happy to talk with that person or the business in order to share some of the good that they are doing. But as always, guys, we really want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We are over 40,000 downloads with a very small number of episodes, and that's all thanks to all of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.